That's right. So how many of you feel like Christmas might as well be tomorrow? Like it's that close? Anybody? Or is it just me? I feel like it's right there. But at the same time, I feel like it's so far away and like I'm chasing it. Like I can't catch it. You know, and all these ads that we see, all of, you know, everything's hurry up, limited time, only six hours next Saturday. You can come and get something at 99% off. And it's like, I have to be there. And then there's these invitations and these parties and everything happening in the season. It's like, well, we need to be there. We have to be there. That sounds so fun. That's amazing. I can't believe it. And then every night's booked and every minute is booked because we're still working to pay for all of this stuff that we're buying. It's crazy. So I feel like it's this little snowball that just gets started at the top of the Matterhorn or something and rolls down and pretty soon it's just going to crush me underneath this giant boulder of snow. That's just me. I'm sure that's not you at all. But as I chase it, I feel like it just taunts me, like it just sits out there. And the sad thing is, is I feel like all these things, why they're great things. I love shopping. I love, I love buying gifts and giving. My wife is an amazing gift giver. I am not a good gift giver. My wife thinks all year long, and she just sort of takes mental notes about who people are and what they said that they liked and what they want and all that. Anybody have somebody like that in your family, right? That's not me. I'm like the, hey, here's a Target gift card. I thought about you. Does that count? You know, I'm that, it's horrible. But, you know, I remember the days of getting the catalogs when you were kids. Remember, you used to look through every single page, and I would, like, dog ear the page and circle them. I got a few kids that, did, that do that now. But all of this stuff, some of it's so fun and so good. But really what it does is it starts to distract us from what's really critical in this season. Because the world even knows what this whole season's about. It just tries to cover it up and distract underneath all the commercialism of Christmas. Because the name itself is Christmas, of which the beginning part of that word is the world says Christmas. The world is screaming the name of Christ. They, and you ask people, how did Christmas start anyway? I think it's about some baby, that Jesus thing or something, I don't know. That little baby Jesus. Somehow this is the season. And we can get caught up in that. And so as we kind of lean into this Christmas season and it's just getting started, we just want to pause and go, okay, let's aim our hearts and our souls and our lives at what we really want this Christmas. Because when we look through catalogs and when we shop and when we hurry up and we try and get the 99% off sale, those things are all important, but they are not what we need. And we know that's true because... When we walk alongside friends whose lives or marriages blow up or who lose jobs or lose friends and family members to death and to loss and to sadness, none of those things matter anymore. What you got for Christmas, the shopping, the parties, the discounts, it all just kind of gets stripped away. And what we're really looking for is comfort. What we're looking for is a comfort that will transcend whatever circumstance we're walking through. A comfort that is always present, that will be there all the time. It won't just get put away in an attic somewhere that we have to blow dust off. But a comfort for our souls. And joy. A joy that regardless of any circumstance, we have a hope and there's a purpose and there's a future that's greater than whatever we're living in as we walk in here today. And this, the great thing is, this is the right season to find that. And you're in the perfect place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of Christmas. The world knows, we know, and remember that it is truly about the birth of your son, Jesus. And it's about remembering. 
And so today, as we pause and find maybe the only moment of stillness our souls will have this week, we believe and acknowledge that you, you are, and you will continue to speak to us. And so help us to find the comfort and the joy that we are truly looking for in this season in our lives. And give us the courage and the willingness to follow you into what you've called us to become in this world. We pray this in the power of your name. Amen. Amen. We're going to start in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. This will sound incredibly familiar to you. If you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand. Somebody can bring one to you. If you've got yours, open it up. You can take notes in it. There's also an outline. If you always remember more when you write things down. I don't know why, it's just true. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Sound familiar, right? An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them what angels always say, which is, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Okay, a little background on shepherds and Bethlehem and angels and fields. A little context. Shepherds in that day were a lot like shepherds today. Where would you find shepherds? Would you find them in urban areas, suburban areas, or would they kind of sort of be out in the country? They would be out in the country. Shepherds in that day were like teenagers. They were kids, and they were sent out just to herd and move, you know, the sheep and all those things. And so they were out of the city. Okay? And they're on the fringe of society. They're the most lonely, forgotten sort of group of people at that time. Now, let's pretend that we are all shepherds, okay? And let's pretend that we're sort of just let's move up to the top of this hill right here. Now, we're shepherds, we're watching our sheep up there on the fields. An angel appears. We're terrified. He says, Don't be afraid, for look, there's a star that will guide you to Bethlehem. Now, where's Bethlehem? Bethlehem would be Ladera Ranch. It's that close. It's right there. So we're on this hillside, right? Right here. We're looking to go, oh, look at there's Bethlehem. You can see the star. Now, at the same time, if you go this way, the top of this hill is what? Nelly Gale. Nelly Gale would be Jerusalem. It's that close. Now, do you think the center of culture? of everything that's happening in education and finance and all the center of everything is right there. We're here. There's the star. Do you think that they could see the star? Yes. If there's a star shining brightly over Ladera Ranch, don't you think you could see it? Of course you could. But it's interesting because nobody goes from Jerusalem or Nellie Gale to Ladera Ranch to see this baby that these angels announce. Why? Well, because they're probably all pretty busy. There's probably a lot of distractions. They're probably racing through this crazy season, right, of censuses and all those things that were going on in culture at the time. So who did God appear? What happened? The shepherds, the fringe of society, the people that had what? No distractions and plenty of time got to see the star, and they get to go to Bethlehem. So we learned that. And what does he say? The angel says, I bring you good news of great, what? Joy that will be for everyone. 
So it's not even just for the shepherds. He says, no, no, no. Look at this good news with great joy is for everybody. Even the people in Nellie Gale that can't see it right now. It's for them too. Well, what's this good news of great joy? A baby. Jesus. And over and over again, we see Jesus then announcing himself as the good news of great joy. Essentially, what he's saying is, I am the bringer and the deliverer of comfort and of joy that transcends everything you've been looking for. Look at what he says in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John, this is John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the The good news. What is Jesus saying? He is announcing what? Himself. He's saying, I am the good news. I think that's kind of funny. You don't think that's funny? Like he shows up at a party. Hey, I'm the good news. Why was this good news for them? You guys remember all the stories we've talked about here. About the Israelites, remembering how they were chosen by God as a holy people. And he says, you know, to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And you are loved. And they're like, we're awesome. And then all of a sudden, they get put in slavery in Egypt. And they start thinking, this isn't awesome. And so they have generations there. But then what happens? Moses comes and he leads them out. Awesome. They wander around in the desert because they're disobedient. Not awesome. This is horrible. We're not chosen and loved anymore. But then what happens? Right? They get led into the promised land, Joshua. And then God goes silent for like 400 years, quiet, nothing. And you get all these prophets that start talking about things to come. And they remember all these promises that God had for them. And so they lived with this sense of anticipation and longing, probably going to bed every night going, yeah, but God, you said and you promised, and where is all this deliverance and all this comfort and all this joy and all this loved and all this chosen and holy, dearly loved thing? And he says nothing except the prophets until Jesus. And so Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, what? I bring you good news that will cause great joy for everyone. It's me, God, In the flesh, I showed up. I didn't send anybody else. I came to be near you. All of that anticipation and longing and wondering, where are you? I didn't just let you live in that. I came and I showed up. This is good news for them. And this is good news for us. Look at what he says in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim what? Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's proclaiming good news to the poor. Is this just the people that are poor financially? Who can't afford anything? Well, no, it can't be that. Because remember, it's for all people. So what is he saying? I I came to proclaim good news for the poor. This is the spiritually poor, which is all of us. The spiritual orphans, all of us are born into a darkness, right? We can thank Adam and Eve for that. It's just true. And so we're born into this humanity, this brokenness. And we we know what that looks like just by our own choices, by our own thoughts, by our own actions. 
And so Jesus shows up and he says, I have good news for you. You don't have to live poor as a spiritual orphan anymore. I came to set you free. You don't have to be tired and weary and alone in your spiritual journey. I showed up. He says, I came to bring freedom for the prisoners. Now, are those just the people who are incarcerated? Guys with teardrop tattoos and stuff? No, of course not. It's not just for people in prison. So what's he saying? This is for those of you that are enslaved by your culture. The prisoners of the world around you, constantly trying to earn and sacrifice your way, even back to God. He's saying, stop it. Don't be enslaved by religious systems and rules even. No more of that. You are free. You're free from that. And then he says, I'm going to set the oppressed free. And we talked about this a little bit last week when we talk about Jesus as the new humanity that unifies everybody under his name. The good news, God in flesh. All of creation unified in him. So there's no more race, there's no more religion, no more class. All the labels and names that have divided everyone throughout all the centuries and even to today are no more in Jesus. He brings unity. He brings together. And he says, you don't have to perform for one another. You don't have to try and have all the right stuff to be approved or loved or valued. Not by anybody around you and certainly not by your heavenly father. Why? Because I'm God in the flesh. This is good news. I came so that you would have everything you need, all of the comfort, all of the joy, all of the relationship you're looking for has now been made real in Jesus and in Christmas. We know this. The world knows this. Everything we're looking for is in this season. But it's so easy to have it get lost in the rush and in the busyness and just in the distractions. And so this morning, as we kind of head into this season, I just want to focus and consider the gift why there's still time for God to give it and bring it and aim our hearts and lives. Flip over, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at one of the prophecies concerning Jesus. Isaiah 9, verses 2 and 3, and then we'll look at 6 and 7. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land, a deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoiced at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For to us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's read those last four names together. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. There is power in those names. And so I just want to pause and make some observations about the truth that he's saying to us here. And watch how easy this is. You guys are so smart. You are all Bible scholars. Watch this. Let's just consider for a moment, wonderful counselor. What does a counselor do? He counsels. Right. What else? Gives advice. Listens. What else? Consoles. What's a counselor do? 
guides. What else? I, I've been to counseling. I don't want to counsel Joe. We can self-disclose here. What else does a counselor do? Empowers, gives direction, asks great questions. Helps to heal. Look at these things. He's saying, you have the most wonderful, perfect counselor you could possibly imagine available to you. The good news of Jesus, born in the flesh. Look at what he tells us in John chapter 14. Jesus is getting ready, preparing his disciples for his death and resurrection. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the wonderful counselor, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. You see, this is an incredible gift to us. All of those things you just said are true. It's exactly what the wonderful counselor is and more. And not only that, you don't have to make an appointment and you don't have to show up at a particular time and they don't kick you out of their office when they're done with you. Because what he's saying is, listen, there's only one of me, but the beautiful thing about this wonderful counselor called the Holy Spirit is when you believe in me, it's a gift I give you that is always with you, never leaves. So not only do you have a wonderful counselor that leads and guides and asks great questions and speaks truth into your life and helps heal the brokenness and all those things, it never leaves. He never moves or changes. He's always available. He always listens. He's always speaking. He's constantly leading and guiding. What does he say? Teach you everything and remind you of everything I've said. That's why God's word is so important. Because we have to know what Jesus said in order for this wonderful counselor to speak that truth into our lives. What a great gift, right? And not only that, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says, in this same way, the Spirit, the wonderful counselor, helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to even pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Has anybody ever felt so overwhelmed by something in your life that you don't even know what to say? You can't even put it into a prayer. You can't even put it in words. There are no words to describe to family members, to friends, or even to God the pain or the sadness or the grief or the loss. The wonderful counselor, the gift of the Holy Spirit, what this is saying is, that's okay. You don't even need words. Because what he's constantly doing is interpreting and translating that pain to God. That's a great gift. That when you're walking alongside people in life that are going through huge trauma that just happens because this world is broken and evil. When people lose jobs, when marriages blow up, when we are at the end of our rope, when you are sitting near the bed of someone who is dying with their family and there's silence, you don't have to say anything. Because the wonderful counselor is translating all of that emotion to God. And why is that important? Because I think deep down we all believe and know in those circumstances we're at the end of us. But maybe God is big enough and he'll do something about it. 
and he does. And he doesn't always do it in the way we want him to or in the time that we want him to. But he does act, which is the second name. Wonderful counselor. And then he says, mighty God, because he's big enough to do something about it. And what would a mighty God look like? I mean, I think we all have these pictures of Greek gods and stuff, right? Moving through the world with giant scepters and stuff and huge beards and everything. and rah. But I mean, it's strength and it's power. Everything you would assume a mighty God to be, right? Look at what the Bible says about mighty God. This is a long passage, Psalm 29. I'm just going to read this over you. Just take a moment and just listen to the qualities and the characteristics of a mighty God. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks into pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists oaks and strips forests bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. He is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people, and the Lord blesses his people with peace. A picture of strength, a picture of beauty, of power. Think of those adjectives, those names, majestic, holiness, glory. You see all creation sort of bowing before God. Controlling lightning and thunder and waters and floods at his name, just his voice. A God that's big enough to do something when we are at the end of us. Mighty God. This beautiful picture, even conquering death and able to bring dead things back to life. Only that mighty God is capable of that. The danger of that is that it can start to feel distant and overwhelming. You see, we rest in the power of God and you're like, yes, that's who I'm crying out to. I'm so grateful for this wonderful counselor that's groaning on my behalf of this mighty God who's powerful enough and big enough to do something about it. But at the same time, I can never comprehend or understand that. Words like holiness and perfection and glory, we don't even comprehend those things and not only that what if that turns on me and that's a place that I've lived in before and I'm betting it's a place you've lived too where all of a sudden that mighty God might turn and he that voice may start shouting into your life I can't believe you screwed up. I can't believe you failed again. I can't believe you made that decision. I can't believe you made that choice. Why can't you stop? Why can't you start? And pretty soon the finger and everything just starts coming at you. And that's been the voice of the Lord in seasons of my life before. And all of a sudden the voice that 
twists oaks and strips forests bare. I feel like those trees. And it can be overwhelming. Which is the beauty of the next name. Everlasting Father. Wonderful counselor. Translating all of who we are. Always present. To a mighty God who's powerful and big enough to do something about it, but may seem overwhelming, so he says, no, 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 you need to understand, I'm an everlasting father. Now, I know lots of us, all of us, have broken images of dads. Some of us have incredibly broken stories. But just think for a second, in your heart, in your mind, in your life, what would an ideal dad be? What are the qualities, what are the characteristics of an ideal father? Shout them out. Loving, keeps promises. Huh? Patient? Present. Teacher? Selfless. What'd you say? Excited, yeah, for you and about you. Present. Maybe one who laughs with you, not at you. Everlasting Father. Look at what Romans teaches us about the everlasting fatherhood of God. Chapter 8, verses 14 through 17 says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. He's saying, you are the children of God. When you believe in this story of Christmas and Jesus, when you receive the gift of this wonderful counselor, one of the things this wonderful counselor is always whispering to you and reminding you is, you're his son and he's your daddy. And that Abba Father language, right, is the most intimate, personal Um, An informal word that little kids called their fathers at that time. It's not respectful and powerful and all that. It's just like, hey, daddy, like little kids. And he's saying, that's you. You have the most loving heavenly father you could possibly imagine. Everything you could think in an ideal dad and more. And adoption is such a powerful picture in the Bible. Because you see, kids at that time, if you remember, you could actually disown your own children. You could cut them off and you could say, that is not my son anymore. That is not my daughter anymore. They were totally neglected and put away. You could actually eliminate them from your life. But if you adopted a child, you could never do that to them. They were your child forever. You could never disown them. And so all these promises in God's word start coming to life. With the vibrancy that we miss. When he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. I will never abuse you. He's serious. And he can back it up. 
And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're royalty. The words chosen and holy and loved, we talked about last week. Those aren't just for my chosen people, the Israelites. That's what I called my son Jesus. And look, you're a co-heir with and in Christ. It's all yours. It's all yours. And it's not just yours in eternity when you die. It's yours now. Now. I'm your everlasting father. I love you. I'm present. I laugh with you. I'm patient. I'm kind. I will never leave. I will never abandon. And he wants to heal and mend all the broken, damaged pictures we have of Father. The everlasting Father. And finally, the Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. And the Prince of Peace. John 14, 27 says it this way. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So let's talk about peace as the world gives. How does the world define peace? How would you define peace? No war, absence of conflict, right? I mean, we, get to, we see this lived out in, in really dramatic ways, uh, like in Israel and with Palestine and Hamas, right? I mean, you see, and they're trying to sign a peace treaty. Well, what does a peace treaty mean? It's just an absence of shooting, right? I'll stop shooting you if you stop shooting me. But we do that relationally. And we do that in our families, and we do it in our workplaces, and we just do it through life. Because what happens is peace for us gets defined as conditional. It's, an, it's, it's usually followed by an if. There's a list. Okay, we can live in peace and be friends if you follow these things. I won't shoot you or hurt you or be mad at you or be offended by you or to you if you behave like this. We can have peace if, and it's followed by all these conditions, and he's going, wait, your, your images and views of peace are so damaged. My peace I give to you, and I don't give as the world gives. So how does he give peace? Unconditionally. And we see that over and over in God's word. You see, God gives his peace, not just in an absence of conflict, he gives it mostly in times of conflict. God gives us his peace, not just in an absence of fear or difficult circumstances. He can bring his peace right into the midst of that. And it's this supernatural, mysterious, spiritual thing that takes place. And that's why he's saying, don't let your hearts be troubled and don't ever be afraid. Because I'm giving you my peace a peace which moves and is always present with you throughout your journey. You will experience my peace, yes, in times and in places where there is no conflict in your life, but you can and will also experience my peace in times of difficulty and trial, in confusion. It's possible to have the peace of God in those moments because it's a gift that he gives. It's a name that he pours into our lives through Jesus. 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Which one is sort of shimmering, stirring in your soul today? The gift that God wants you to remember and hold as you head into this season. For me, as I was looking at this and moving through my week this week, the one that stood out to me profoundly was the gift of peace. And like all of you guys, I'm moving at speed, which it seems like, remember, December just starts to move at a whole different rate of, <laughs> of life. And this past week, one morning, my wife had to take one of our kids really early to the dentist. So they had to leave at like 645. And so I had the other three. And all I had to do was get them dressed and get them fed and make sure their backpacks are together and get them across the street to their neighbor so she could take them to school. And I had an 8 o'clock meeting, so this all has to be done in like, you know, 30 minutes. And the kids were awesome. It was amazing. I know, and I know some of you guys are like, what a lame He can't do to take care of his kids and breakfast. Okay, I'm just saying, three kids is a lot sometimes. Four. Uh, so here's the deal. So the kids were awesome. They're dressed. We had eaten. We had laughed. Everything was good. I'm like, okay, we're almost out the door. I am almost ready to head to my meetings and start my day, which was jammed. And then all of a sudden, I hear this crash. And I look down the hall, and my oldest son had, had accidentally knocked a picture off the wall, which was a pretty big picture. And so now there's glass that had just shattered all over the tile floor. So I'm like, ah. Uh, and what, what ex- came out of me at that moment was not peaceful. It wasn't the everlasting father that I want to be. And so um, I just crushed the spirit of my son just with a look and disappointment and sadness. And so I called them all together before they left. And what was I frustrated about? I was frustrated that my life had gotten disrupted. I was frustrated that now I got to clean up all this glass and I'm going to be late to where I have to get to. It's no big deal. It's a picture frame but it became something bigger than it needed to be. So I got my kids together and my son, and I just, I just said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that, I'm sorry that I ruined the picture of who God is for you. I'm doing my best. And I said, but I love you, and I know it was an accident. And did my best just to send him across to school. And my kids are so gracious. He forgives me. But I need peace. I need peace in those moments where my life gets disrupted and turns upside down and I feel like I'm not going to make it to the next thing or be who I need to be in some space. I need the peace of God to overwhelm me and to remind me that, Kyle, I move with you and I'm moving through life with you. And I will give you all the peace you need even when life feels tumultuous, even when you feel like you can't be who you need to be. I'll give you my peace. So what is it for you? Wonderful counselor? Somebody who's going to guide and lead? Be present? Everlasting father? Mighty God? Or maybe the prince of peace? Take just a moment and reflect. And maybe even write down on the back, what do I need to receive? Just write down the one that you need to hold to the gift that God wants to give you through Jesus and through Christmas in this season. Take just a minute.
Here's what I want to do. Um, John described us as a community that cares and loves for each other. And I want to do that. I, wanna, I want you to do that for one another, and I want to do that for you. And so I'm going to invite you guys to do something that's pretty simple but pretty courageous. And that is, um, I'm just going to go through these four things, and I'm just going to pray over you. And so if, if the gift God wants you to receive and hold to in the season is wonderful counselor, would you just stand wherever you are so that we can pray for you? Wonderful counselor, if that's what God is inviting you to receive this year. Yeah. And then if you're close to these folks that are standing, can you just stand and just put an arm on their shoulder or something just to be with them? If you're around them, let's just extend a hand towards them to represent being with them in this season. And we'll pray. Everybody's going to get a chance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the source of all comfort and joy. For your plan of love and of redemption and the good news of you showing up in Jesus. We remember that today. And for these kids of yours that are standing and acknowledging and just confessing and surrendering to you. That they need guidance. They need wisdom. They need to be listened to. They need to be healed. Would you, as their wonderful counselor, show up profoundly in this season? Would you give them the truth that they need to hold on to, the hope and the joy that they can cling to as they navigate this world and navigate their path? We pray this in the power of your name, Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Mighty God. Who needs the power of God in their life uniquely in this season? Would you just stand? Let's pray for you. If you're by one of these folks, would you just stand, extend a hand? Hmm. Father, these are people that need to experience your profound power. We remember that you, with a whisper, control the universe, that you spoke everything into existence. You are powerful and strong, and you promise in your word that you give strength, your strength, to your people. And so for your children that are standing to receive and experience you as their mighty God, would you deliver? Would you show up profoundly? Would you move things in their lives and in their stories that they feel are immovable? Would you bring healing and reconciliation and redemption in profound ways that only you can? As they are standing to say, I am at the end of me and everything I can make happen in this world, and I need you, mighty God. We pray this in your powerful name that conquered death. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Everlasting Father, who needs to experience God in this season and have a story healed?
in terms of your father. Would you stand? The presence, the closeness, the joy, the patience, the wisdom, the love. Same thing. Would you move towards these folks? Be with them. Extend a hand. Let's pray. Abba. Dad. These are your kids. Would you whisper into their hearts today? Would you remind them that you are close, that you love them? Would you laugh with them? Would you be strong? Would you develop their character with love and with grace and with patience? God, would you remind them that you are always present, that you will never leave, that you will never fail, that they are adopted children, that they are chosen by you, that they are loved by you, that they are dearly loved and valued. You call them in your word your most prized possession. And I pray in this season that you would help them to feel and experience that in ways that they never have. And would that heal and mend the brokenness and the damage that gets created by the broken images we have of Father in this world. Help them to realize in a profound way that you are an everlasting Father, everlasting in love, everlasting in grace, everlasting in favor. And will you show up? And we pray this in your name. Amen. And finally, who's like me? Who needs peace this season? Would you stand to receive peace from God in the midst of this season? Yeah. Just extend a hand, be close. Holy Spirit. Give us your peace. Thank you for the reminder that your peace transcends circumstance. Your peace transcends our understanding. Your peace overwhelms us, even in the midst of severe trials and confusion and doubt and fear. And so I pray for your children that are acknowledging this truth, that they need your peace in this season, God, that you would sweep through their hearts and their lives. And help them to rest. Realizing that your peace is not like the world's peace. It is not conditional. It is not dependent upon them. It is not even dependent upon the circumstances that surround them. But that you can overwhelm them with peace. At the speed of life. I pray that you would bring peace to their souls. Even in this moment. God that they would leave with a sense of rest in you, and because of you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.